listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. And now, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. Live on a Thursday jam-packed show. We got two and a half hours of show, but only an hour to do it. We're not going to mess around. Live on 225 FSR stations across this great nation. Live on a Thursday. Live from Vegas. Fezzik on Thursday. This is like you do your Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You say, I'm getting an extra workout in on the lats. How you feeling? <laughs> Sore. You ever work your lats? Sure. I don't think so. Oh, oh, he's doing a little pull-up movement right there. I'm impressed. <laughs> Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. We are pros. He's a Joe. He's in Los Angeles. Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got another game in the NBA playoffs set for later on tonight, we've got week two of the NFL season kicking off in Ohio. But what is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? High stakes for the Browns. High stakes for Baker. I think the case can be made. This game is the most important yet for Baker's likelihood of staying a franchise quarterback in Cleveland or becoming a journeyman. Yeah, it's a battle of winless teams so far as week two kicks off tonight. Later on in Cleveland, it is the Bengals at the Browns, 8.20 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on NFL Network. Right now on pregame.com, Cleveland is a six-point favorite. Now, some of you may be skeptical, saying, wait a minute, RJ, you're saying this is a huge game? This might be one of the games that seem like the stinkers of stinkers. Ooh, Browns, ooh, Bengals. You know, their uniforms got those ooey colors. You know, they don't, <laughs> you know, institutional brown. And I love orange. Pregame.com, orange is our color. Not that orange. <laughs> but consider this is the third year for Baker Mayfield. He had a bad first game. So starting his third year, bad first game. And we'll talk about what that. Really mm, portends. How predictive is that of the future? I think more than probably Browns fans would like, he had a bad second year. Baker Mayfield, the entire season, not good. You'd agree with that, Fez? Not good second season. Yeah, below average. Yeah, more than that. Below average. Like he's what, the 18th best quarterback? No, worse than that. I got him rated 27th best quarterback. That's, so. so there's 32 teams. Your assessment is 27 is below average? 
Yeah, last year his QBR was 19th. I didn't ask that. I said, no. what do you think he is? He's not a top 20. 27th. <laughs> Boy, you're a trip, man. <laughs> All right. In the fact, I'm going to start with turning his mic off. <laughs> okay. He's all, say something. Hello? See, he can't say a word. We won't, get, we won't be bothered now. He wasn't ready for Thursday, I don't think. But anyway, bad second year. Now, you might say, RJ, it's a four-year contract. It's the third year. What's the big deal? The fourth year, you might say, oh, you could redeem yourself, whatever. Well, look at Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky, between the third and the fourth year, they had to decide to pick his fifth-year option up. They didn't pick it up. That pretty much guarantees Trubisky's not going to be back in Chicago. Now, if somehow, some way, he does really well, it's going to be a situation where they might negotiate a contract and make it happen. But just historically, and Joni, you follow this stuff very closely, when they don't pick up a first-round, uh, and remember, this is a first-round situation with Baker. He was top 10. If they don't pick it up... Very rarely, and I can't recall a time with a first-round pick that they've actually then stayed with the team after. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And look, if the quarterback comes back and plays decent uh, in that final year, they can still slap the franchise tag on him, and they don't have to commit to him long-term anyways. But it's not often that they don't pick that up early on with the first right to do so and then continue on with it moving forward as their franchise quarterback. So I'm not exactly sure of... The Baker amount. I think we're looking into that now, perhaps, McKenzie. I'm not sure. But the, oh, there it is, is a fifth-year option for Baker would be equal to the average of the 10 high salaries at the position. Now, that can't be. The 10 high salaries average is $34 million right now for quarterbacks? For next year, yeah. Wow. With Mahomes at 45. Okay. So, I'm not sure if... Like what Mahomes is on the books next year, but if that's the case, wow! Because I remember Trubisky was like twenty three million. Yeah, it's twenty three right? change. Yeah, yeah. So, really, what you're saying is you'd have to pay Baker more in year five than Dak is making this year, and everyone's talking about how much the franchi- how expensive the franchise tag is. Right. Wow. So where's that bar? I mean, even if you just say, hey, he's below average, whatever that means. Are you paying $34.6 million for below average? So, historically, and, and you're right, Jonas, there's all kind of things you could do with Baker. You could say, well, we're not going to give him the 50 year option, but we put the franchise tag on him, which would be higher than this, because if I'm not mistaken, that's top five or whatever, right? Yeah. Average. Yeah. Or you could say, we're not going to do either and try to negotiate a contract with him, which means he's free on the open market. So the bar is going to be mighty high to say, yes, give us that fifth year before the fourth year is even played. That's the key here. Thus, the third year becomes so important. Now, you might say, and I think you'd be correct, well, RJ, that applies to the next five games, six games. Why tonight? And I think tonight is so important because it's on national TV. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to talk about it. And it's against the in-state rivals. Okay, Cincinnati. But against the number one pick in the draft this offseason. So Burrow, he comes into Cleveland in this hypothetical and wins the game? Baker looks bad. It looks as bad as he's ever looked. And in between Baker and Burrow was Kyler Murray. Well, he looks great. No one's questioning Kyler Murray. So if Burrow looks better and Murray looks better, 
Baker doesn't look good at all. A loss tonight, not going to say a nail in the coffin. It would be a nail in the coffin, but it might be the longest, biggest nail of anything Baker's done so far that's fallen short. Losing tonight would have the biggest impact, thus the highest stakes of any game in Baker's career. Thoughts, John? Yeah, and I also think when we do the comparison game, and we like to do it to Trubisky all the time, we compare him to Watson and Mahomes, and we go, well, he hasn't had close to the career and probably never will of those two guys. Well, then why don't we do the same thing when it comes to Baker Mayfield? He was taken ahead of Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, and I don't even think it's close. He hasn't had near the career of either of those guys, yet doesn't get as much of the criticism, but he's starting to now as things heat up. No, I think you make a good point, but but to me, here's the slight variation on what you said. I think if we're assessing the acumen, the drafting ability of Chicago, Cleveland, Kansas City, Houston, that's a fair thing. Hey, you took him after, you took him before, how good was he? You know, all that stuff. But really for Cleveland now, it's a sunk cost. They've used that draft choice. Now, is it make sense? Does it make sense to spend more money? more commitment, or do you cut? Do you cut? You know, with Trubisky, the theory is, hey, we made that big second-round pick or second pick in the draft. We were wrong. We're moving on effectively, and we'll see if they do. But by not taking the 50-year option, that was a step forward to moving on. Even if we accept the fact there was better picks than Baker to make, it doesn't mean Cleveland won't be able to economically and talent-wise make it work from here. It just might not be as good as it could have been, or they might say we're done, right? Which is a much bigger. Here's the thing, though: if Baker's going to be bad from here out, it'd be much better to say we spent the number one pick, four years of a contract. That was our cost. But if you add the cost of another contract, more years, and not only the money you're paying him, but not drafting another quarterback, not getting another veteran perhaps in there. That's even more expensive. So, yes, it looks like a mistake's been made. The question is how big of a mistake. Or if they redeem themselves, potentially by keeping him, they might make it where that original wasn't even a mistake. But you've got to put more money in the pot. It's almost like a poker hand. You think you're behind. You can draw one more card. But you've got a big bet to make before you can get that card. And if you win with that card, you win. But if you lose, you lose more because you got the last card. That's the analogy, Jonas, I think, is is Cleveland going to draw another card in an expensive pot that they're behind in? What do you think? Yeah, and I think this year is so massive for him. And you bring up the point of, look, this is a standalone game, and he's going up against a rookie. It's why everybody's going to be watching. And I just wonder if Baker's going to feel the same pressure. He hears everything. He listens to everything. And that's usually when mistakes are made. Or is he going to rise to the occasion? And if he can't do it against a Bengals team on a short week in week two on the road, then I don't know when he's going to be able to do it. Yeah, this is certainly set up where he's supposed to be able to do well here. Right. So that would be even a bigger disappointment if he doesn't. And again, that number one pick against Burrow. Fez, I could tell you like my poker analogy, so I turned your mic on for a closing thought. <laughs> I love the poker analogy, and I wonder if Cleveland's not drawing dead for this card the way that Baker's been playing, that there's no cards that are going to materialize. I tell you this, if they can't win at home against Cincinnati in that division with Pittsburgh and with Baltimore, this home game against Cincinnati, they better win it. Yeah, and again, I'm not sure this is about having a better record than Pittsburgh, better record than Baltimore. I get all that. That's talking head stuff. The question is, how good is Baker? That's that's they could lose a. I mean, I'll tell you this: 
Arizona didn't win many games last year. But everyone was optimistic about Kyler Murray. No doubt. Right? I had a bet on them winning over five and a half. I know they didn't win enough games. They should have won six. I know. I know. But all of this is what's happening on the field. And if you listen to, in closing thought, if you listen to the, the film guys, they said Baker with a new coach looked lost. So you got a new coach and you look lost in week one and you're in your third year? Ooh, that's not good. So this is super high stakes tonight's game, higher than you might think. Literally, Baker and the franchise quarterback status might be at stake. And at the end of the show, the end of this hour, a full Vegas preview on the game. When we come back, college football is back. Title favorites, yep, the Ohio State Buckeyes, number two, will break it down. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC are already underway, and we've got the uh, Pac-12, which is currently trying to come up with a plan. The Big 10 has announced that their season will be beginning on the weekend of October 24th. So, with that being said, we do have a plan in place for a national champion to be crowned coming up later on this year and into next year. I believe, though, and, you know, we're going to go over the odds, but I think the Big Ten may be in trouble. If you listen to Joel Klatt, and what I say by trouble is the idea that there may be a bias against the Big Ten when it comes to the college football committee. And the reality is, and Joel Klatt was on the herd right here in FSR talking about this, saying, hey, SEC, Big 12, ACC, they were taking the arrows. They were out front, tip of the sphere, saying, we're going to play. And Big Ten sitting back, sitting back, saying, no, we're not going to play. We are more evolved. We don't, aren't going to risk the children's lives. And lo and behold, the president calls the Big Ten commissioner. There's a lot of heat. Letters released. And now it's like, upon further consideration, and let's be candid, if you were doing something that took guts to be on the forefront of, and then someone from the rear said, me too, I'll follow. Aren't you going to hold a little bit of a grudge? And that's if it's Ohio State or Georgia, potentially. Maybe it's going to be Georgia if it's a close call. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think there's something to it. I just, uh, and this is where it comes down to, why did you vote on who you voted on? Why did you guys choose uh, one team over another? And we oftentimes don't get a really clear explanation as to why that is. But if it's close and you see that they're determining whether to go with an SEC team or to go with an Ohio State, yeah, I could see them saying, look, this is a team that took the chance. They played more games. They got out there. And and, and they were willing to, to jump into the season sooner, unless Ohio State just looks dominant and looks clearly as one of the best four teams, then, then I could see that play out to where they would give preferential treatment to the teams that took chances. And as an Ohio State grad and a fan, I lament that, but I'm not sure that it's not justified. It may be justified for the college football committee to say, you're coming to the party late, thus you have a tier two ticket. And if somehow, even with a Tier 2 ticket, you make it, congratulations. But you better make it clean and clear. Or if there's any ambiguity, it's not going to benefit you. Here are the national title odds. And I'm interested in who got hurt 
by the inclusion of the Big Ten. Clemson was two to one on September first. Now two to one. Ohio State off the board. Now two and a half to one. Alabama was three to one. Now three and a half to one. So Clemson not hurt at all. Alabama hurt a little bit. Here comes the pain. Georgia four to one. September first. Now twelve to one. Wow. So they're saying with a short season. It's very possible, very likely Clemson goes undefeated. So they're in regardless. I think it's interesting that Alabama drops because it's probably likely they have one loss. And without Ohio State, they probably get in with one loss no matter what. With Ohio State, if they go undefeated, maybe they don't. But Georgia would be that second SEC team, went from 4-1 to to 12-1. to Steve Fezzik joins. Is this something, you look at these odds, does it seem... Right? Anything seem off? Any observations? It does seem right. Ohio State clearly is a team that you would expect would be able to make the Final Four. I got a question, though. The committee, you look at the Big Ten, we know Nebraska and Iowa and Ohio State wanted to play. But are wins against teams that were reluctant to play, like Michigan, Michigan State, not going to be nearly as uh, impressive given that those some teams were voting not to play before all this started? All right, so what you're saying is because wins against some teams will be less impressive. Why is that? Because Michigan and Michigan State basically voted not to play before all this happened. But so you're saying because they voted not to play before, if somehow now they vote to play, which all I guess it was everyone did vote to play yeah. and they play, someone's going to say, "Oh, their president didn't want to play 3 months ago, so the games matter less now?" Well, I think that it showed a commitment over the course of the season that they weren't fully committed versus these uh, other big well, 3 see, conferences. See, what I would say is that well, what we know is the Big 10 as a whole wasn't committed. But what we know is and it's been reported that Ohio State did vote yes. So are you saying if it's Ohio State that's, let's say, uh, in the decision with Georgia, let's say they're trying to decide between the two, I kind of could see them saying, well, the Buckeyes did vote yes, they were overruled, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And I also could see if the team that's under consideration didn't vote yes, they voted no, to give that an extra weight, the committee would say, oh, they didn't want to really play, they weren't here when we needed them. But how is it if Ohio State's in and they voted yes, but the people they played voted no? I'm confused. Because Georgia's playing against teams that all were all in to play all, all, all throughout the process, and I think that that's stronger. Hmm. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell, straight out of Vegas. Last thing for me on this, Jonas. The Big Ten, it feels like they're saying things have changed. At the time, our decision was correct. You're laughing. So, do you find that absurd? Yeah, it's just, come on, man. Like, they're talking about all we have these, you know, the Pac-12 has tried to pull this to it, or they said, oh, we've got these rapid daily tests. Man, Texas State and SMU were using that test a couple of weeks ago. Like, the Pac-12 had access to this stuff. This feels like a couple of conferences and the people running those conferences wanted to be trendsetters. Yeah, I think more so wanting to be at the forefront of the woke movement. absolutely. And so, and now that there was some pushback and they realized, oh, so this isn't a good look and all these other conferences are able to pull this off and they're getting all the shine. Yeah, upon further review, look what we're able to do now with all this testing. It just feels you know, a little suspect to me. 
I agree. I think your skepticism is warranted that they're going to, with a straight face, explain why their decision then was correct and their decision now is correct. Joel Klatt had a good analogy. Think of it like a sleep. uh, You have an alarm clock. You have a snooze button. And in this analogy, getting up and and getting up out of bed is playing, saying we're going to play and turning off the alarm and going to sleep is saying, we give up, we're not going to play. Okay, so the alarm went off, what's it been now, six weeks ago? Yeah. And the, and the Big Ten had a choice. They could have hit the snooze button and said, we're not going to get up and play, but we're not going to go to sleep either. We're going to hit the snooze and wait. But they said, no, we don't want to hit the snooze, because if we hit the snooze, this stays in the news. Everyone's talking about it again. They're waiting for the next deadline. So they said, we're out. And this is official. This will not be rescinded. Remember how it's like nothing will rescind this. Okay. So they chose the trade-off was let's wait for a while, snooze it, and see if any medical things change. But the cost of that would have been extra scrutiny as time went on. They said, we don't want the scrutiny. We're not the snooze. Forget the snooze. We're turning the alarm off and going to bed. We're done. See you next spring. So I can accept even maybe le- the legitimacy of the improved testing or whatever contributed, but why didn't you at least hit the snooze? That's the indictment. And it was, six, it was six days later that all of a sudden new testing became available. So they made their decision. I think it was August 11th. So we're not even six weeks. It was five weeks ago or four weeks and change. They make the decision on August 11th and then – Six days later, it comes out that there's more advanced testing that is available and that has been approved. And then instead of them saying, okay, well, maybe we jump the gun on this, they doubled down on it and pulled yep. up some heart study and then and then released this big statement as to what their findings were. Yet three weeks later, they determine that, no, we're okay to play again. It just, come on. Well, don't you, you didn't get the – listen, here's the thing. The beauty of science is you get to change your answer after the fact, <laughs> course, yeah. but then you act like science is <laughs> unimpeachable. You better right. not qu- listen. You better not question science, buddy. I know. <laughs> and then it's like, well, which science are you talking about? Right. And, and and the analogy is always the same: is a professional batter who's great at the NFL hits fifty five percent of the time. There is no way to do better than that long term. Long term, there's no way to do better than that. So on one hand, you can say a professional batter, let's say me hitting 55%, you would say, hey, that guy's the best there is. If you want to predict football, go with RJ. But but if you act like RJ's 100%, you're making a big mistake because I'm far from that. Science is the best predictor, but it isn't 100%. And to act like it is and then have to defend that is where the hypocrisy comes in, and it hurts science. Because I, I would say of all the people I know that's kind of anti-science, which is absurd to say it that way, probably two-thirds of them are like, I like science. I just think they try to make it out to be right all the time when it's not. It's not that they hate science. They hate the way they act like science is perfect. It's not. Go read anything. Global warming, climate change. In the 70s, they were afraid of a new ice age. It doesn't mean that I had a better predictor or anyone else did. It meant it's imperfect. Science is the best, but science is imperfect. Those two things go together. Doesn't seem like people get that. Big Ten, hypocrites. But I will say it's kind of nice 
the Buckeyes are the second favorite. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make a big deal about it. O-H-I-O, <laughs> I also think if it comes down to it, um, and we we're talking about Joel Klatt was pointing out that they were you know, potentially going to be punished or there was going to be sort of um, some angst against them because they held out as opposed to other teams that, that were willing to play right away. I think Ohio State would get a pass because of their branding, because of how good they looked, and also I don't know mm. if the committee, I don't know if the committee is going to judge and be and and sort of punish them for what people above them, outside of the coaches and the players, wanted. Because the coaches and the players have been consistent all the way through. It's the people above them that were not. You know, that's a, a Pollyanna-ish type. I, I, I wish you were right. <laughs> I'd say this, and I say this objectively as a grad, so let's admit a little bias. I felt like a high state in the last five years has gotten the – they've been given uh, the lack of the benefit of the doubt. They've been graded more harshly than any school. I truly believe that there was two other national or uh, playoffs they could have made. They really could have, I thought – so if you want to say who's been mistreated by the committee the most, the most mistreated in the last five years, I'd say it was a high state. And I don't understand the politics of it, Big Ten, Ohio, but I honestly believe that to be the case. We'll see. Let's, I'm going to keep your optimistic attitude. <laughs> one last time, title favorites, Clemson, two to one. Ohio State, two and a half to one. Alabama, three and a half to one. Georgia, 12 to 1. They were 4 to 1. They've been hurt a lot by the Big Ten's inclusion. Another team hurt by the inclusion. Oklahoma. They're now 18 to 1. They were 12 to 1. What happened in the interim? They won 48 nothing. So you're 12 to 1. You won 48 nothing in their first game. Now they're 18 to 1. Yes, Ohio State. <laughs> it's, a, it's an important factor in these playoffs. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. So, RJ, week two in the NFL kicks off 8.20 p.m. Eastern time. It is the Bengals at the Browns on pregame.com. The line has stayed the same throughout the course of the show. It's still Cleveland minus six. Well, maybe a pick here might change things, but you know what? Here's what you need to know. The guys that lose money, the guys always complaining about losing, they usually bet a lot of TV games, standalone games are dangerous. Why? Because you want to bet them. You're going to watch them. Guys like, I don't know, Jonas probably bets a lot, <laughs> lot of TV games. Of course. And if you're doing it for fun, great. Have fun. I wish I was booking it. But the fact is, if you're trying to win, the line has to be wrong in order to have a winning bet. In the long term, you could win any given bet. I could say, I'll give you two to one on a coin flip. I could win. Wasn't a smart bet. Fez, Steve Fezzik joins pregame.com. Why don't you want the Browns here? Because brand new coaching staff, brand new coordinators with a short week, that's not a team I want to invest in. So the COVID reality, 0-3 new coaching staffs uh, against the spread and straight up, and you're saying it's accentuated by the fact of the short week. I agree with that 100%. Why not the Bengals? Brand new quarterback Joe Burrow. And frankly, he struggled in his first game. Missed two wide open receivers on well, longer yeah, routes. We don't want to hear about the wide open, the individual plays you happen to see. What was his QBR? 20. So 50, a little so bit above be- 50th li- average. Yeah, so he's below average. Way below average. Yeah, well, well, just below average. So now, I think it's important to realize right here in FSR, Colin was talking about the optimism he saw 
in Burroughs' play. I personally think Colin goes overboard contextually, meaning I think he's right. You've got to consider context, not just the numbers. How good's the receivers? How good the linemen are? But if you're not careful, that context, you can spin it any way you want. You give me any two sets of data, set of data, I can give you both sides always. And if you're smart, you got to be smart enough not to use your IQ to fool yourself. And that's true. Some people use their brain to fool themselves. Burrow probably was better than his stats, but not good enough to be even optimistic about yet just the one game. But amazingly, you got a prop bet, best bet. It's pro Burrow. Yeah, AJ Green over fifty-five pass reception yards. Now, why if if you're down on Burrow, why over AJ Green? Because AJ Green got fifty-one yards last week, despite Burrow struggling, and Burrow clearly was targeting AJ Green more than any other player. Um, nine targets versus five was the maximum for any other Bengal receiver. So nine targets. Second highest targeted receiver for the Bengals, five, and that win to, or that over under is only 55 yards. Yes, over 55. Over AJ Green, Steve Fezzik. I have a best bet. We're going to put half a unit, half a unit on two things Nick Chubb, yes, Chubb over 76 and a half yards rushing, Kareem Hunt over 41 and a half yards rushing. I just want to go over rushing for the Browns. I think. We got a Browns coach that wants to run the ball. We got Baker that's going to be feeling a lot of pressure. I think you're going to see run, run, run. My favorite number would be like over running attempts. I don't think the Browns are going to be necessarily all that efficient, but I think they're going to make the commitment to run. Thus, half a unit over Chubb, 76 and a half yards, over Hunt, 41 and a half yards. Real quick, Celtics Heat lines three tonight. Game goes in a few minutes. This line is higher at minus three than game one. This is the zigzag. In the NBA, you win the first game, you're expected to be a little lax the second game. Boston lost the first game, they're expected to step up. Three-point favorites. I actually lean towards the Heat. 